Hey everybody, Michael June here with Game Changers for Government Contractors. And today we have Josh Frank on with us. Josh, I know a lot of people know who you are, but for those who don't, take a minute, tell everybody a little bit about who you are. Thanks, Mike. My name is Josh Frank. I'm managing partner for RSM Federal with my awesomest partner, Mike here. I've been in the government market for 35 years. I'm a former intelligence officer. I ran the Department of Defense for MasterCard and I've worked for a half a dozen small businesses and opened uh, our doors for business, Mike, what, 15 years ago. And if there's anything, uh, I specialize in tactics and strategies, although that's not what we're going to be talking about today. So today we are going to be talking about some recent SBA updates, regardless of when you were listening to this, the SBA did some updates kind of in the summer of 2023. And Josh was kind enough to go through all that boring material, they <laughs> you know, summarize a little bit of that for us today. Cause you know, I, I joke, but there's a lot of important things that happen when they do these updates. They do these updates fairly regularly. Every couple of years, there's some sort of update, whether it's a big one or a small one, and it's important to keep up on this kind of stuff because you could be operating your business thinking the rules are one way when they're actually a different way or not attempting something because you don't think it's going to be beneficial to your business and it actually is. So there's a lot of cool little things like that. Why don't you give us kind of the high level overview of what happened in this set of updates and then we can dive into a handful of the ones that you think our audience would be most interested in. These updates bridge everything from final rules to proposed rules to whether it's for the FAR, whether it's SBA, whether it's executive actions by the president. It used to be every couple of years, but because we've, and, and if you've listened to any of our prior podcasts, you know that we've lost about 50% of the industrial base, right? DOD over the last 10 years has lost, what, 50%. It, actually, I think the last podcast you and I did together, we talked about these pieces. Yeah, we talked extensively about it. Yeah, so there's category management, there's strategic sourcing, there's bundling of contracts. There's all these things that Mike, you and I talk with our clients on, but there have been an absolute explosion of legislative and regulatory updates literally since just November of last year. And so I, I looked through all of them. I'm probably going to touch on, I don't know, I'll probably touch on 20% of them today. And the ones I'm going to touch on are broken down into these seven categories. One's going to be how the government tracks set-asides. One's going to be men or protege. One's going to be inflation <laughs> because of what's happening in the country. Yeah. And that's impacting government as well. A little bit on SBIR. There's updates on on contracting assistance programs. And then there are a bunch of updates on the set-aside programs and the changes to the 8A program. That's one of the things that people don't realize is it's not just Congress making these SBA sending recommendations. You've got the president and different people on their team. So there's there's all these folks that get together and they all have different priorities. They're all making changes. It mm -hmm. happens at random yeah. intervals. And sometimes, like you said, it's through executive order. And sometimes it's through a long drawn out process. Sometimes we see them make the recommendations. <laughs> You'll have opportunities to make comments on that and say the federal register or whatever it may be. So sometimes it's real quick. Sometimes it takes a while. One of the most important aspects of reviewing all of these legislative and regulatory updates is the government actually says in the federal register, how many people comment on this proposed rule or that proposed rule? Mike, I am not kidding. The average is three to five people. It's important for people to be aware that this happens so that number one, 
to bounce right off of what you were saying, they can actually participate in the process. You can reach out. You can talk to your Congress folks. You can talk to the government directly through those comments and they see that type of stuff. It's important to interact with all of these things, not just be a recipient on the back end of that. My two cents, soapbox, whatever you want to call it for being involved in the process, not just being on the back end receiving whatever they do and then complaining about it. I do see a lot of that. People don't realize there's so many opportunities to actually be involved. What did you see that really caught your eye in this round of updates from November 22-ish up until summer of 23? Did you know we have our own government contracting community? It's called Federal Access. And inside Federal Access, you have all the tools, tips, strategies, documents, templates, everything you're ever going to need to be a government contractor. But you also get brought into our ecosystem. You get into our private LinkedIn group and you get into our live events and all that kind of thing when you become a member of Federal Access. To learn more, go to federal-access.com forward slash game changers. Now let's get back into this episode. Okay. I cannot overemphasize how important some of these updates, some of these proposed updates are. Let me just go ahead and kick off one of the sections. I saw this in the NDAA, National Defense Authorization Act. I saw it in a House resolution and I saw it proposed by SBA. There's three different areas. One, the NDAA, National Defense Authorization Act, codified that the SBA scorecards the scorecards that are A, B, you know, A plus, whatever, that are provided by the, you know, the armed services, the federal agencies, it's the 24 major organizations. Those scorecards now must track set-asides, not just for DOD, but across all the armed services. So now the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, the Marine, they're going to have their own, maybe not their own scorecards, but they have to individually now track, not just DOD. There is a House resolution that is now requiring the SBA to disaggregate, separate out the SDB, the Small Disadvantaged Business Contract Data. And what the House is asking SBA to do is they need to break down, you ready? Not just 8A, they have to track down by gender, ethnicity, and race. And how many of those companies that are broken down by those mm. three are also 8A. And, you know, let's talk that one for a minute. We know that prime data in uh, Sam's data bank, right, or USAspending.gov or FPDS or whatever system you use, you can easily find prime data. There's one system, right, Mike, that you, the only system you can find subcontracting data, and that's USAspending.gov, which is, it's not even, I don't think, 30% accurate. But the House of Representatives is asking SBA to disaggregate that data for both prime and subcontract. Primes and subcontractors, that's going to be tough. Contracting officers already have enough challenges as right. it is, right? And so that's that second one. So the first one is the National Defense Authorization Act. The second one's from the House of Representatives. It's all about scorecarding and tracking contract data. And the third one comes from SBA. And this is proposed. It's not a final rule. And it is to allow 
lower tier subcontracting credit. Now, this applies to large companies. It's opportunities that are over $750,000 and it's awarded to a large business. This now allows permits the prime to apply for socioeconomic credit to second or third or fourth tier subcontractors. Mm, which has been the first. Exactly. I mean, you and I have been preaching to you know all of our clients, you know, first tier, first tier, first tier. Now, here's the kicker. For everybody going, oh, this is awesome. It only applies for single contracts with one agency. So if there's a contract and it's used by multiple agencies, think CIOSP4, think Polaris. If it's used outside, then this lower tier subcontracting credit doesn't apply. So it does not apply to any government-wide vehicles or used by multiple agencies. So if it's a single contract within one agency, you absolutely can use lower tier subcontracting Mm. for credit. That's interesting. Yeah, it is. What I'll be really looking out for is, let's say it's a hypothetically an SDVOSB set-aside and similarly situated entities. You have a subcontract first tier, that's SDVOSB. Well, the two of you, that prime and sub, both SDVOSB, can count towards that 51% to ensure that you are in fact running the contract. Okay, here's a question. What if it's a third tier sub and they're also SDVOSB? Will that Mm. also count towards the 51%? So I don't know if SBA is taking these things into account, but it's all very interesting. So Mike, from a tracking of small business participation, Those are the three big ones that are out Mm. there right now. I see, and this is just for everybody listening as well. One of the things that I see happens when any of these new rules come out is there is kind of an adaption period, whatever you want to call it, where it comes out and there's all these little wrenches that get thrown in. Those go back. And then in the next cycle mm-hmm. updates, they go, we want to clarify something we did back in 2019 where we said this, but it really meant this, or they further revise <laughs> the rule based on the input that happened happens over the next two, three years. So I think your question that you bring up is really good about the second, third, fourth tier subs on that and how they will apply it. I think over the next year or two, if it's all approved, we'll see people challenging it in one way or another. So that's interesting. Yeah. The next section is mentor protege, joint ventures, and economic adjustments and inflation. That's a mouthful. Mentor protege, there's two major things. Now, The updates to the Meta-Protégé are coming out, and I'm going to say this on every one of these, where it's coming from. The Meta-Protégé requirements changes are coming all from the NDAA. The first one is that DOD's Meta-Protégé program is now permanent. And I'll be honest, I thought it already was permanent. I thought so too. Yeah, I I mean, I know SBA's is, and there are a lot of people that don't realize DOD has a mentor-protege program. It operates differently than SBA's, but those are the two. And then what blew my mind was that the NDAA also created a statutory homeland security program for mentor-protege. And so I was just talking with a client this morning, and I said, you know, one of your strategic targets, right? One of the three strategic targets for the year is DHS. You need to be aware there is a new mentor-protege program. Well, it's not new, but now it's statutory, it's mandatory that they have it. So that's on the mentor-protege front. 
for joint ventures. These are SBA rules. These are rules not proposed. Subcontractors, small businesses, subcontractors can now use past performance from a joint venture. Now, some will go, well, wait a minute. I thought you already could do that. Yes, this is a final rule, but small businesses have been doing this for years and contracting officers have been accepting it. But as you said, out of these hundreds of legislative updates, regulations, you're right, Mike, we are validating what we said in 19. Why? Because people, the industry has made complaints in various yeah. responses in the Federal Register and they go, we hear what you're saying, industry, but that violates congressional intent. That violates defense intent or whatever it may be. So anyway, small business subcontractors, yes, you can use past performance. Small businesses outside joint venture can also use any first tier past performance to go after a prime contract. And again, I told some of our clients this and they're like, can't you already do that? I said, we've all been doing it. We've all already been doing it, but now they're making it law, right? Or it's a rule in this case. The other cool thing is that this SBA rule takes into account the challenges that our clients have been having or small businesses in getting the primes to actually rate them. Sometimes mm. the government requires a rating and the small businesses reach out to the primes and the primes are like, we don't have time. Or yeah, sure, Mike, sure, we'll take care of it, but it's not done fast enough and it doesn't get in and time for the proposal turn in. And now all of a sudden the small business is screwed. So the new rule is the prime has 15 days. They have 15 mm. days from the subcontractor going, I need you to help me with the rating. The clock is ticking. Also, it's always been a challenge. CPARs, right? There's always the question, how do I get a small business or a subcontract rating in CPARs? Now, the reality is there are ways for you to request it. But now, if you're the small business subcontractor, you have 30 days from the end of the contract, end of performance, to request that the prime give you a rating. So some of that was joint venture and some of that was just, you know, getting your past performance rating. There's also a FAR rule. So, all right. So that was SBA. There's also a rule in the FAR now that agencies must consider past performance from each joint venture member. Now, Mike, one of your clients that went after CIOS before, they submitted past performance from various members of the JV and the government NIH came back and said, no, no, you can't use that. Yeah. And then I think there were 18 amendments. I'm being facetious, but there was a couple of amendments where clarifying where past performance could come from. So the FAR has said, okay, enough of this. Each joint venture member is allowed to be considered for past performance, which is huge. Absolutely yeah. huge. And then the final piece on joint ventures is the SBA eliminated the necessity, formally eliminated the necessity for a joint venture approval to be required for competitive 8A. So, you know, a couple of years ago, if a joint venture was going after an 8A contract, the SBA had to approve the JV before the proposal mm -hmm. could be submitted. Mm -hmm. That's gone. That's eliminated because it was just too much of a pain in the butt. That one's a huge time saver. There's a lot of people that would have pursued opportunities, but felt like they didn't have the time to run through the SBA and all of that. So that one's huge. Yeah. I, the one on past performance is huge too, because to me, the whole purpose of forming a team is to leverage the team, right? right. I mean, like why else? 
would you bring a team together if you weren't trying to leverage the team? So that one to me is not only a no brainer. I mean, it should have been there all along. So I really like hearing that one. What else did you hear that sparked some interest on your So side? economic adjustments, inflation. Let's oh jump yeah, back. inflation. Inflation, yeah. it was huge. Well, we've had a lot of clients that have come back and said, hey, we need to do an economic price adjustment. But the contracting officer said, you don't have an EPA clause in your mm -hmm. contract. Therefore, no, yeah. which is, look, I see it from both sides, but the NDA is now authorizing contract modifications to address inflation. And it's for service members, right? Living expenses, and it's for your contractors. But here's the thing, the authorization to do a modification addressing inflation must be solely a result of economic inflation, and you must prove it. That's on the NDA front. The House of Representatives also put out a bill that said, hey, 50% of interim partial payment to small businesses need to be made for equitable adjustments. This is less inflation and more changes to a contract. But if a contracting officer directs a change right on your contract, on the terms, the terms of your contract, then interim partial payments are authorized, okay? Let me jump into another one, SBIR. The NDAA has extended the current SBIR program through fiscal year 25, and most of the stuff that I saw out there was to prevent foreign influence. So evidently, the government's a little worried about the Small Business Innovative Research Projects contracts that have foreign influence. What was interesting is that it wasn't through the National Defense Authorization Act, but the FAR, now this is proposed, this is not a rule yet, but there's a FAR proposed rule that says government wants to extend the data right protection from four to 20 years. It's about time. That's it's a, yeah, it's huge. There are a lot of companies that don't want to go through an SBIR because they're like, no, I don't want protection for just four years. That's ridiculous. So that's being proposed. And then allowing sole source under phase three and allowing sole source under phase two without justification. Again, those mm. are all proposed. Probably one of the most interesting updates also came out of the House of Representatives. It's an interagency agreement. You ready? Between SBA's, SBDC's, Small Business Development Centers, and DOD's Apex Accelerators. They're always working together, right? They're always referring to each other. But this interagency agreement is for the SBDC's and Apex Accelerators to coordinate their activities. And the reason why made me laugh. One is to prevent duplicative assistance. Okay, that mm. makes sense. And to prevent contradictory assistance. That made me laugh. Mm. <laughs> so evidently, the SBDCs and the Apex Accelerators are giving guidance on winning government contracts, and they're not synchronized. They're not saying mm. the same things, and they're contradicting each other. That's not a bad thing. This It's a good thing. It made me laugh. That's interesting about the DOD Apex Accelerators, which for people that are listening that don't know, PTAC rebranded as Apex Accelerator over the mm -hmm. last several months here in, in 2023. So that could have been part of the rebrand is we're going to start speaking different language here with SBDC. The interesting thing, when I was out in Alaska last year, there was an SBA session. There was SBA reps from all over the country and they all got up. I thought it was going to be like WrestleMania for a moment where. <laughs> 
where <laughs> we have these folks standing up arguing with people on stage going, that's not how it works in the field. In the field, this is what we have to do and what we have to tell people. And it was just a back and forth. And then you'd have somebody stand up and say something totally different. And I don't agree with you either, but the challenge that I see for programs like that is when you have things that operate at a or function and get funding at a national level, but operate at a state level, everybody that's in their state is really, they're just isolated from the other states and what's going on. And, you know, you and I have had the pleasure of working with so many PTACs. We've probably worked with almost all of them, but mm -hmm. you see the differences, you know, when they were PTACs and now Apex, you see the difference in how they're organized and what they do. And that's just the way life is. And it's with every organization, even when you look at big companies like Apple or Microsoft, the Seattle office and the campus and all that's very different than if you go somewhere else in the country, right? When you're dispersed like that, it creates a lot of challenges. So it's interesting to see how they're going to come together and do that. One of my complaints about all of those programs is there are a lot of different levels of that that are going on. And from state to state, you're like, well, what's the Maryland one doing? Or what's going on in Syracuse? Or what's going on here? And those people are like, man, that's like the program in the country outshining others. And then the other ones in the country are like, well, we don't have the resources or budget or whatever. So mm -hmm. it, it looks different from state to state, region to region, I've always felt like more of that should be consolidated in some way and, and work better together. So we'll see if this is a first step towards some of that. So tell me what's going on on the set-aside front that people need to know about. Yeah, there's quite a few. I'm going to run through them fairly quickly. Let's start with the Senate. I haven't mentioned the Senate. The Senate is requiring certification for SWSB to be counted towards gold. This is really what's, it's currently ongoing. This is the rule that eliminates self-certification and that's for prime and subcontracting. And the deadline to be certified by the SBA is January of 24. And so for all the companies out there that are currently veteran or service disabled, veteran owned small business, and you are self-certified and Mike, we've run the numbers, 60% of all the veteran businesses that are registered in SAM or self-certified. Think about that for a minute, okay? Mm. So if you're self-certified come January 1st of 2024, if you're SAM profile, you're not going to be able to update this yourself. So GSA will do it for you in your profile. If you are not SBA certified for veteran, you cannot bid on SWSB or veteran-owned set-asides. The next one is a rule. I have a question about that one. Yeah, yeah. Go on. No, go so for it. On that one, is that also apply to those veteran companies that just squeaked in and got their SDVUSB through the VA before the VA shut that down in 2022? Because that's good for a few years. Yeah, it's two uh, or three I, years. Yeah. So the answer is if you're certified with the VA, your certification is good until the two or three years up. Cert. And yeah. then when okay. you research, you'll just be doing it through SBA, through but the, you don't okay. lose your certification yeah. and you don't have to race to SBA to now get the SBA cert. It's just okay. the folks that have just checked the box themselves, just the self-certified right. folks. That's okay. it. And that's why there's so many rules out there on eliminating self-certification. I mean, Jody Ernst within the Senate. Yeah, I think she's Senate. Senator Ernst said, I'm calling my bill stolen valor. That's what the bill is called. There is some number, I don't know if it's small or large, of self-certified companies that are lying and that are just trying to get contracts. This will eliminate yeah. that. 
by the way, I'll just throw in that does not just exist on the STVOSB side. That's the WSB right. side. That's all these ones that are like, well, I qualify for this because whatever. My favorite saying when I meet with a WSB and it's two guys on the phone, I'm like, well, where's the W? And they're like, oh, well, she's not really that involved. I'm like, then you're not a WSB. Yeah. So, and that brings us to the next one. There's a rule in the FAR and it requires third party or SBA or third party certification for woman owned small business set asides or sole sources. And this is known, but what was really neat is that companies now, this is a rule now, it's a final rule. Companies that are pending their woman owned small business certifications can still submit offers now. Mm. They can submit while it's in pending status. Nice. Okay? Yeah. There was another Senate bill, 1470, that requires, again, the certification for woman owned to be counted towards goals against. That eliminates self-certification. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure why that was important because the woman-owned small business eliminated self-certification, I thought, years ago. Yeah, I thought so too. But you know, to, to your point there about being able to submit, as my wheels are turning as you're talking there, I'm curious if somebody submits while their paperwork is in process and they get denied, will they have their contract taken away? Yes. That would be it. Yes. I'm not sure if the language was in there. I may have just glossed over it and and didn't write it down, but it's very likely that, not likely, I'm positive that if it's pending certification during the submission of offers and you win, they're not going to give you the contract until SBA says, yes, they're certified. That's a good point. Let's talk in executive order on the set-aside programs. SDBs, right, that small disadvantaged business spend what last year was 62. $2.4.5 $2.4.5 billion. In October of 22, the goal increased from 11 to 12%, and it increases to 15% by FY25. Now, this should not be a surprise to anyone. This is President Biden's big 15% increase for the minority and the socially disadvantaged. What's interesting, Mike, is that SDB does not mean 8A, but 8A, if you're 8A, you're automatically SDB. All right? right. These are different socioeconomic statuses. If you go into SAM today and you go, hey, I'm looking for opportunities, you can pick veteran and woman and hub and 8A. There is not SDB. And by the way, you can self-certify SDB. But remember when I said as a part of tracking small business participation, what was it? It was the SBA has to disaggregate the SDB data, right? Gender, ethnicity, and race, and, and how many are 8A. You're starting to see that a lot of these are all tied together. They're going to have so much trouble, so much trouble trying to track SDBs. They really are. By the way, the increase to 15%, I'm not convinced that's just federal. That may be a lot of state as well. So anyway, that was a change. And then there was another executive order that said we have to, and there's not a lot of specifics behind it, we have to increase diversity and resilience. We have to lower barriers for entry. There was another executive order. They're going to force agencies to start focusing on reconstituting the industrial base. The definition of these new entrants are any companies that have never won a government contract over the micro-purchase threshold in the last five years. So if you've never Mm. won more than 10000 on a contract in the last five years, you'd be applicable. Of course, I scratch my head and go, those companies probably don't want to sell to the government. The last two are are very interesting because like, how do you reduce the barriers? You know, one of the things I think of is past performance. So can you reduce barriers by either eliminating or 
or reducing past performance requirements. Another area I think of, and this would be an interesting one, especially given inflation, is could you see them raising the simplified acquisition threshold to help ease those entrance barriers? Because to me, those are the easiest contracts to enter the market on Mm -hmm. micro-purchase and anything under simplified acquisition, and then, you know, eliminating something from past performance. So it'd be interesting to see what mechanisms they use to decrease barriers and then to increase the industrial base it seems like you got to pull some of the same levers in order to do that or attack some of the main complaints that you open the show with around when you look at how they're doing consolidation and all those types of things. You know, it's like almost undoing something in order to create something that they destroy. We know we have to reconstitute the industrial base. And by the way, I want you all, just everyone to think about what the word reconstitute means, okay? That's a strong word, and that's coming from the office of the president and from government. We have to reconstitute the industrial base and all these major challenges, right? We talked this last podcast, category management, strategic sourcing, bundling of contracts, all of that is controlled by the acquisition side of the house. Yet most of the organizations that are trying to reconstitute the industrial base are not the acquisition side. It's the small business offices. It's DOD's office, small business programs. Part of me looks at all of these legislative updates and I scratch my head and I go, government, you need to get your act together and y'all need to start talking. You know, that Midwest y'all, y'all need to Mm -hmm. start talking to each other because as an example, there's another executive order that says we need a government-wide procurement equity tool. I could care less whether it's an equity tool. I'm concerned that more tools are not the answer. You need more tools Folks, we just need to remove the barriers. There's also, this is an interesting one, Mike. There's an SBA rule now. It's not proposed. It's a rule that now prohibits competitions from requiring multiple certifications. So all those, mm. oh, uh, ac- yeah, the acquisitions that go, you have to be 8A and you have to be woman owned. That was ridiculous. Like, that nope. was nuts. No, no, I love that one. That was a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. So now no more multiple certification competitions. Here's another one. This one, if it had been out before CIOSP4 and Polaris and all the others, real big ones, all the socioeconomic statuses, 8A, SWSB, woman-owned, hub zone, et cetera, can only be a joint venture partner on one JV contract. In other words, Mm -hmm. you can no longer be on multiple JV teams because the government said, what if this one company is on multiple teams and we award a contract. Let's say they're on three different teams because they're a member of three different joint ventures. There is risk that that one company is going to share pricing. There's going to be collusion. There's going to be theft of mm-hmm. pricing and intellectual capital, and it will not be in the best interest of the government. And so for all of you companies, and that well, there's a lot of our listeners and a lot of our clients that put their eggs in multiple baskets. You can no longer be on multiple JV teams. They didn't say multiple teams. They said multiple JVs going after one contract. So it's the equivalent of exclusivity. To summarize, for anybody that's not clear, you cannot be a joint venture partner on more than one joint venture that submits an offer for a specific contract, a day contract. I think that's a really good one. I don't know how many more you got left here, but but as we We start to wind down, I think one of the points as you're talking about this stuff that I want to make clear to folks is if you listen to what we're talking about and Josh is referencing things that happened in the past and all this different stuff, these updates take decades to be put together and, and changes to make. And some of the stuff you're talking about is very specific. Some of the stuff you're talking about is really, really vague. 
And it'll be interesting to see how they actually apply these new rules. Again, I think it's going to be decades in the making to get to some of those specific answers of, well, how are we applying this now? Some of them are simple. You know, the JV thing, Mm -hmm. mostly simple until somebody says, well, I'm a JV partner on this team, but on this team, I'm just a subcontractor. And somebody challenges that and they go back to the rule book. So these things take time to play out over the years. Some of these are final rules as of now, but I just want to make sure that people understand that doesn't mean it's final forever. Yeah. So, all right. So to respect our time, because I don't want to go another 20 minutes, there are seven other updates that I want to briefly touch on. One is for HubZone. You don't have to certify with every bid now. There's a new role in the FAR. You used to have to certify at both offer and award. Now you just do it at award. And here's a big one. All you HubZone companies, that rule now authorizes sole source for simplified acquisition. So if it's under 250,000, you can now get sole source awards. All right, so that's HubSpot. On the 8A front, These are SBA rules, merger and acquisition. Let's say, you know, you sell the company, it's acquired, and the new owners are like, well, we're going to keep 8A for a little bit. If the status of a company is ever called into question and SBA determines that you are no longer authorized to be 8A, you have two days to remove it from your SAM profile. And if you don't, the SBA is required to do it themselves. It says that two days. That's wild. So I want you to imagine there's a merger and acquisition. I want you to imagine that 8A just got acquired. And I want you to imagine that 8A has eight different task order bids out on three different contracts. Well, guess what? If there's a determination, you have to also notify the agencies with pending bids. Oh yeah, this is serious. There's also a rule for non-manufacturer. This is really good for our product companies. Okay, so for all of our clients and our listeners that are commodity, there's always been the four-part rule, right? Less 500 employees. You have to sell that type of product. You have to take ownership of the product. And it used to be, hey, it had to be a small business manufacturer. The new SBA rule says now only 50% of the contract value. 50% 50% of the product mm. has to be from a domestic U.S. small business manufacturer. Another SBA rule was various updates to AD ownership and control. I'm not going to go through all of them. There was increase to net worth, increase to AGI, increased total assets. And then here's a big one. There's a new FAR rule now that limits options past the fifth year on long-term 8A contracts. What does that mean? That means the government has to verify 8A eligibility 120 days before the fifth year of a contract. It also requires that the government verify 120 days before any option, period. So for all those 8As out there that are in the final year under contract and you just got a five-year 8A set aside, it's looking like your first option year, the government's going to have to verify. Now, it doesn't mean they have to take it away from you, but they can't take 8A credit for your contract. Mm. The final changes that I wanted to make sure I put out there, this one's an SBA rule. You know, consolidation and bundling of contracts, right? There's certain times where you're supposed to and not supposed to. Blanket purchase agreements were never included on that list. And the government was consolidating left and right. The SBA now has a rule that says BPAs are now also in that list and have to be taken into account. SBA also put out a rule on NAICS codes. This happened January of 23. They increased by 13 
15%, the size standards across the board. There's over 111 new industries in those NICS codes. Mm. And they updated wow. the woman-owned small business NICS codes for WSB set-asides. You know what? I'm going to stop there. Those are the major legislative rule changes and proposed rule changes and executive orders that I've seen over the last several months. I think that's a, an earful for anybody that's been listening. And one of the good things about the way we do the podcast now is you not only have the audio video portion, you have a transcript of this that'll come out on LinkedIn as well. So if you're wanting to read through all of those, because I know it's so hard sometimes to hear this level of discussion and really comprehend it, you can read through the transcript and see all of that information in there. So you don't have to memorize it all on the treadmill or anything like Josh said. So I think it's been a good conversation. Thanks for taking the time to consolidate all of those and read through them. You know, I'm not going to do it. Good to have you do it. So thanks for coming on and talking about all this. It's been good stuff. Oh, you're quite welcome, Mike. And again, some of these seriously impact the 8A, the woman O, the SDVUSB. So I hope all our listeners take these into account as a part of their business development strategies. Absolutely. Thanks again. And we look forward to the next time. Well, I really hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, I would really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast and screenshot it and tag me on LinkedIn or whatever social media you use. So thank you again for joining us today and we'll see you next time. Perfect.